Wanessa. Wanessa. Wanessa is conversation. It's authentically building community and connections. Grab a cup and let's chat. Okay, and we are recording. Okay, yay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Tea Time and Wanessa in the women's series. We are very excited to have Neda with us. Everyone, round of applause. Yay. Nada, can you please introduce yourself? So my name is Nada. Hi. <laughs> Nada, I think I'm based in Switzerland, Zurich. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So Nada is the founder, owner of House of Lulia. She is an amazing artiste um, and creative. <laughs> And we're really excited to be talking to her about all things House of Lulia, but also, you know, who she is and her experience as a Sudanese woman. So um, now the first question I got for you is, can you tell us a little bit about House of Lulia, how it started, you know, what inspired you to start it? Okay, so House of Lulia is still an ongoing project that I don't know where it's going, but right now I am making bakhur, I'm painting mabakir and uh, incense burners. And I'm trying to, it's, it's an open research on the czar. And uh, I called it Lolia. Lolia is one of the czar spirits. Um, one of the famous czar spirits. She's an Ethiopian, um, Ethiopian lady, lady in red. <laughs> yeah, and her character, I think she's, she's, she's said to be the lover of beauty. Her color is red and she's very um, seductive, but also very passionate and very, open and I think I, I like this resonates with um with the project maybe not with me as a person but with the project that I have and, and, and with the idea of, of Lolia so I yeah called it House of Lolia. Um are you familiar with a Sudani song that has the word Lolia is it is it the same are they talking about the same thing do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> oh wow okay, okay. I just there's want- a lot of songs and and and, and um, Zenik songs that, that mentioned Lolia and it's her, Lolia Al-Habashia. That's her. Okay. So I think being, you know, uh, removed from Sudan, I, I don't know these things. <laughs> so when I did hear, I was like, oh, okay, there's a connection there. All right. So um, what really inspired you to get into this work? You know, what is it that you found interesting that, you know, made you want to start this project? Um... Sudan, so the Sudanese culture, Sudanese women's culture, the whole bakhur and bilka and the smells and the sandalia that I always smell on my mom. It's just, it smells like home in a very, it smells very comforting. And, 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 and I just wanted to work with that, with smells, how, you know, aromatherapy and, and, and color therapy and all of these things, how they can alter your state of mind or state of being in, in, in like in, in a second and how it can take you to places, to memories. To think so, I just I wanted to play with that, but at the same time, I wanted to highlight um, the czar also because mm-hmm. I, I I'm very intrigued by the czar. Very um, always been interested in religion and, and and cults and well, the word cult is a bit difficult. I know it's very negatively connotated, but it is a cult essentially by definition. So I'm gonna call it that. But um, yeah, so that was I I did research um, academic research on the czar and I completely fell in love with it. Um, and to me, it made a lot of sense for a lot of things that I've um, experienced as a child and even growing up. And it just and it, it just gave me names and, and, and 
terms for things that I've seen or that I've witnessed. And, and um, what fascinates me the most about the dot is that it's so versatile and that um, it, it has been used as, for example, as um, political resistance or cultural resistance in so many ways. It's been more than just a religion of the oppressed been an outlet for women for marginalized groups and it's just it goes very deep and it combines religion politics economics and, and a lot of things and I feel like there's so many lenses that we could observe it through or look at it and talk to talk about it and research on it so it's very and yeah it's 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 very broad and it's still ongoing it changes as we change and it takes on so many functions and I think it's interesting to see what, it, what role it has played in the past and what we're doing with it now, what, it, what the potential is, what, what can still happen with the Tsar and I think it's a big part of our culture. Um, generally all pre-Islamic um, pre elements that we have in indigenous culture, especially in rites of passage or, you know, in Pijetik, in, Fil'iris, in, in a lot of ways we still incorporate little elements from pre-Islamic beliefs, from the Tsar, from different things. So it's very interesting to me to observe that. What we, how do we accommodate these things throughout history and now? So Through yeah. your research and kind of looking at um, Bakhur and, and all of these things, how, what, what are kind of your insights been into like the life of a Sudanese woman and kind of just because I feel like you, you're you're um, you're approaching a Sudanese like researching a Sudanese woman in a very unique way. So has it given you different insights? Um, I think Sudanese women, they have rituals for everything, even if we don't call it rituals, like even maybe we all do that in the morning when you wake up your coffee or Bukhur is, is a ritual. The way you put on your henna, it's, it's everything is very um, almost sacred, and it's 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 these little things that vary that that I think are um, the most interesting to me. These little cult rituals, <laughs> I don't know how, a better way to call it. So, um, yeah, how we and and for every passage of life and for every every new chapter that you have, you have rituals and superstitions maybe that are very deeply ingrained. Even if we don't believe in it, there's things that we still carry or. Yeah, even if uh, after Islam, different interpretations of Islam have demonized things, but that the fact that they're still prevalent and that we still have them in our lives, that I find that that's that's maybe the entrance to me too. Right. To that this. makes me um, think about the milk and the jistic. I have no idea where that actually comes from, and I don't know if you would know that. Where does that come from? That you know the spitting thing and whoever. What I know is that whoever gets spat on is the uh, is is not the one who wears the pants in the relationship, right? <laughs> it would mean oh, is that what it means? <laughs> yeah, like if you got spat on, that means you you're not the dominant force. In the um, I don't know the the origins of of that, but um, why? <laughs> but it's, it's it's very. I'm I'm sure. I mean. Ever since, for example, the pharaohs, they used to offer white, white food or white things to the spirits because it, it's symbolic of their intention, of yeah. their white intention, and 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 of white is always has been associated as a with 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 clean with, with cleanliness, with purity, with you know good intentions, and these are offerings they used to do to for the spirits, and and even in Halfa, for example, and different other different tribes, they have um, offerings to the Nile spirits that they, they would throw um, white food 
to the Nile after every ceremony they have um, and little things like that. And, and in the Jeritic, the Jeritic and the Hinna especially is used to ward off evil spirits or to, you know, bless your, the, the marriage or the journey there, there, that the couple is about to take on. So maybe, I don't, I'm not sure, but maybe it has something to do with that. Just to yeah. <laughs> so Nada, um, most of, I mean, people are in our generation try to find ways to connect back to our motherland and, you know, our parents' culture. And it's, you know, I think that's something we all can share and relate to having grown up most of our lives outside of Sudan. So what's that been for you, um, you know, is learning about this stuff and what you studied in your academic background been a way for you to connect back with your culture and find a way to kind of ex coexist between being an outsider and an insider? Because you know a lot more than definitely we know. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really interesting to hear that. Well, to me, going back, I decided when I was 17 or 18, I decided to go back to Sudan to do my bachelor's degree in, in Sudan. So that, I think that was the first step that I consciously took to, to get to know Sudan, to get to connect to my um, to my culture and to my you know ancestral land, <laughs> so that was the first step I took. That was um, consciously, and then from there on, I think one thing led to another. It was um, even the fact that when I came back from Sudan, that I um, decided to do a master's in religion and politics because I felt like that was the most that was the reason why we left Sudan. And that was for political reasons that had to do with um, with, 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 Islam, with Islamism. And um, so I, I don't know if every step I took might not have always been conscious, but all of, it just always led me, everything I do, I feel like leads me back to the same thing. And, and it, it, I'm just exploring, I'm still exploring and I'm still getting to know Sudan and I don't think we will ever fully, fully know it. And, and but that's, the, that's the classic, struggle of, you know, growing up in the diaspora and never really belonging anywhere. But um, that was also something that I really appreciated in Sudan because um, I found myself surrounded by other young Sudanese that grew up outside and moved back either permanently or like me just for university. And that was very exciting to just meet these people that have also always been in the field. So what was are some commonalities that you found with people like who grew up in the diaspora and then came back to Sudan? Like, how was it like connecting with them? Um, yeah, well, the first thing, the, 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 the fact that they wanted to connect to Sudan and that they all had different experiences. Some would come for a vacation for holidays um, with their parents, but then you only see, you know, a certain side of Sudan with your family, go visit family, have family yep. over. Yeah. Us. Don't really yes. uh, that's my whole life. <laughs> same, right? Yeah. It was the house same house. <laughs> So it's just maybe maybe So that's it. You don't really get to. But I, yeah, that that was the first thing that um, that everybody wanted. But people had different priorities or different things that they wanted to see about Sudan. But just just to have that exchange and just to. I'm just gonna ask, how difficult was that adjustment moving back? Because we we are in this like year of return where a lot of people are are thinking about moving back to Africa and like going to to kind of support and 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 work in the motherland and really like bring the knowledge that we've acquired in our Western settings and in, in back into our home countries. But I'm sure there's like an adjustment period and like differences in 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 kind of in thinking or anything, but I'm interested to know from your experience how that was. Yeah, that was exactly my question. <laughs> We're in sync. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, it was difficult, I'm not going to lie. It was very, very hard. And looking back, I had some of the best and some of the worst times of my life or experiences in, in that period in Sudan. And um, one thing that, I've, that, that was hard for me was to... I made it a point to be exactly the version of me everywhere I go. Like just me, not to, you know, not to bend Shit. to societal expectations and just they didn't want to water down any parts of me, which was very hard. And, and Sudan at that time, that was before the revolution, before a lot of things, still Sharia, still um, public order laws, still all of these things. And it was hard, especially as a woman, to, to, to just be yourself. And at that age, I think I didn't realize um, exactly what I was doing. I just wanted, you know, I, I'm a teenager, basically. I just wanted to be yeah. me and do me, you know, yeah. very, not very, I didn't really reflect on that. So that was, that was something that frustrated me. Yeah, I, just walking in this woman wearing pants was not, like simple things like that. You can't just walk around for shadow. You can't just, uh, yeah. small things like that that yeah. you would take for granted and that suddenly becomes like a mission. I really like what you said about trying to remain yourself in every aspect. And that takes a lot of maturity. Um, and something I struggled with was in Sudan, I had a personality and I just wanted to fit in so much that those summers that we spent there, I really felt like, you know, I have great memories of that, but it didn't feel like I could speak my mind and I could, you know, mm -hmm. argue back with some of the things I would hear in conversations that, you know, were conflicting with my American ideals and the things I grew up with here and my independence here. So I constantly felt like there was two versions, you know, and now like, you know, in this new decade of my life, it's like, okay, now how do you combine that? And like, it seems like you kind of made that decision early on in your life that you were going to remain the same in everything you did. Yeah. And how do you also, I, I, I'm, I'm sure you were, um, I'm fairly outspoken in my family. So whether I'm here or in Sudan, I kind of just say what I want to say and do what I want to do. And like with my family in Sudan, I'm known as like kind of the wacky one, the crazy one, because you tried to be authentic. Did you kind of get that like sentiment as well? Like, oh my God, she's so different or something. <laughs> yes, and even like to a point that they wouldn't even take me serious anymore. It's just my, Majruna, like, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. that's all you are. Yeah. <laughs> it's also empowering that you don't have to respond to a haja and you don't have to, Masa, you guys don't take me serious, so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, just do me. <laughs> okay. I love Yeah, it. but also the language barrier. I feel like, um, and English also is not my first language, but then Arabic Aman is even, even less so sometimes you you can't even articulate a lot of things that you want the way you want it and you just feel misunderstood in, the, in, in on so many layers can you read and write arabic i do read and write i don't understand though everything so sometimes i just i would just read an article and i can read it but i just these big words that really don't yeah okay a lot of people romanticize that journey back to sudan you know they're yeah. just like oh it's with sudan you can do whatever you want because at least here as americans there's and actually as expats everywhere there's this constant longing for home and it's like when you finally are home you feel at peace that this is this is the part of my life that's missing um, and for me here, it's that constant struggle between being black and it's just like, there's no rooms, there's no space for black women um, in this country where I really feel like, you know, I'm safe and this is home. So I'm always like thinking about going back home, always thinking about going to Khartoum and, and being among my family so that I can just feel at peace and not have to worry about anything. But did you, um, you know, did you did you feel like that idea was completely shattered as soon as you're there? Like, you know, yes, you're home, 
but now you have to deal with all these public order laws and all of these things. But, you know, how was that? How was that reckoning for you? Where it's just like, damn, maybe this is not what I thought it was. <laughs> I had a lot of these moments where I'm like, okay, wow, I, I kind of feel more Swiss now. So can, can I go? I know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not forgetting my left yeah. <laughs> But at first, and I think it gets less every time I go. I was just there has seen um, for six months and I came back a month ago. So in these six months, I think I felt like um, more Sudanese. Every time I go, I find myself more and more Sudan or more and more home. And it's, it's you can't rush it. That's I've been there for six years, uh, like all in once. And I would go travel out and come back. But in those six years, I, I tried really hard at first. But then I'm like, OK, this is a process that you can't rush. It's like building a relationship with Sudan and you can't build you can't force relationships with anything. So, did you did you, yes. <laughs> did you see your did you find yourself changing like through those six years? Um, I mean, I'm, we all change, but like in terms of like your relationship to to um, the the way that you see the world, right? Because I feel like coming from a Western society, we're used to structure. We're used to like things being done in a specific way. We're used to. I don't know, like all of these ideal ideals, but being in Sudan for such a long time, did you see yourself begin to change the way that you react to different things? Yes, and in in in, in positive and negative ways. So I, I mean, at first, I when I when I got there, Swiss people specifically, they're very punctual. They're very structured. We're very, or everything has to be in order. I yeah. I was just it, small things used to irritate me when I, <laughs> I want to go out at two and the person comes at two thirty. I'm like, okay, well, you know what? Girl, that's early. Disrespectful, yeah. you know. Don't, this the is not four. <laughs> okay. so exactly. So you can't do that in Sudan. So little things like that, or just I don't know, going to get your passport or any government. Uh, uh. And, uh, bring a snack, bring water, you're going to spend the day there, relax. And the thing is, is like, you can't even get offended with them wasting your time because they're like, you know, it's just a passport. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you, you need it in two days. You're leaving the country, but it's okay. Relax. <laughs> you're seventh shy. Like, time really becomes an illusion in Sudan. So. <laughs> but then, <laughs> so that was like these are the small things that I I, I changed. I mean, I would, but then you become more easygoing at this in Minahia, but um, you're also forced to grow up so fast because you know we don't have beggars in the street, we don't have homeless people that you see outside. There's none of that, and 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 you go it just puts things in perspective, especially when you're I don't know 17, 18. You're just a teenager that just wants to be loud. And you know what I'm saying? Like, you just want to live. You don't really want to. It's just so serious, so fast. And I found myself um, confronted with problems that I never even, I knew they existed, but I never had to, I was never faced with any of that. So that was, it puts a lot of things in perspective. I feel like I grew up very fast. Mm -hmm. Like faster. Mm -hmm. I, feel like, yeah, I don't know. How to. Yeah. I have to sit with that for a minute because, you know, I think these are the things that our parents think about when they decide to immigrate and leave Sudan to go to other places. There are some things that they're trying to protect us from um, and, you know, and be able to have that childhood. I can, you know, at least for me, I, I can say my parents may not have necessarily had the ideal childhood, right? Um, <clears throat> but they were provided care throughout their childhood. And this is something that 
they focus on in, in their parenting style. Um, but it's scary. Like, you know, it, it really is scary sometimes to, the world is harsh and especially in a developing country, you are face to face with a, a lot of those harsh realities. And it's like, how do you actually deal with that? But I think about our parents' reality sometimes. Like, imagine that the life you're currently living is so terrifying that the unknown is more manageable, right? Because yeah. they didn't know what really being outside of Sudan is going to look like. Right. They don't know what raising children outside of Sudan is going to look like. But the current circumstances were so scary, so dire, that they had to literally be like, I'm going to shoot in the dark and figure it out there. They continue yeah. to be in this space yeah like, yeah i don't and even see that with refugees that, that 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 go on boats not knowing even if they will arrive or not but mm-hmm. how bad that must be like to just exactly. you know, take the chance and just take this so tell us a little bit about your parents right because in especially for strong outspoken determined women you know, there's not always a lot of space for us in Sudani communities. You have to kind of forcefully put that space. And the way your parents deal with you has a lot to say with, you know, the confidence that you have in creating that space and and pushing boundaries. So tell us a little bit about like, you know, them, how they've supported you in your journey, whether it was your business or whether it was your your, uh, educational choices and decisions and even moving to Sudan and all that. So um, my my dad was um, he was he's a politician and a journalist in Sudan and um, he was uh, a political prisoner for a long time on the Nimeri and uh, with the Inghaz regime. So that's why we left Sudan and um, I think that had a big influence in what uh, in what I in, in in my interests in life and in what I studied and, and my yeah basically my life in, 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 in all aspects of my life. And, um, but my father always, I think, well, both my parents raised me to be outspoken to, to, to tell it how it is to take my space. And they always tell me there's enough space for everybody. Like this, this is something that I grew up with and I, um, but also in a respectful way, they always, um, in a very any traditional way always in the class you know what I'm saying like not give anybody any chance to say anything bad about you and so I my parents are very supportive and they're not um one thing that I really appreciated is um growing up here when you see other um, Muslim kids that that uh, maybe force their children to wear a hijab or you know be very strict or force them to pray and all of these things and that's something that I always appreciated growing up that my parents never do that and they they would, they, they teach me um, Islam they, they they took us to an to an Arabic class and um, ever since every weekend every Saturday we used to go to Islamic class and Arabic class and all of these things they gave us these tools but then let us decide what we want to do with with it and um, even. And I, I remember when I was in Sudan, I had this phase where I wanted to, I started praying and five times a day and I was just done with everything in life. I'm like, Khalas, this dunya, I'm just going to be, you know, I want to be a Sufi. And I just had, I had different phases, but one of them, and I was just trying to see my dad's reaction. So I'm like, Baba, I want to put on a hijab. And then I was on the phone with him and he's like, okay. Why? Um, and I told him I want to do Ashan Kida 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 and this world Aslan and and Aslan it's you know Mafrud Mafrud is like okay well um, you're not convincing me and first of all I think Hajib first and then Hajib Hajib and so that's something that really 
resonated with me. And I'm like, okay, what, what am I really trying? I'm, I'm 20 something years old in my early twenties, trying to figure out my, my, my relationship with God or with Islam. And, um, he just basically told me that there's no, you don't rush it and you don't do it for anybody else. And don't do it for society. It had to be your heart first and then see where that takes you. So that's basically his, um, his way. This is the way he raised me throughout my life. So that's it. Was that, did you find that spiritual journey harder in Sudan or harder in the West? Because from different people, I hear different things. Sometimes it's, it's easier to find yourself when you're, amongst people who are like you, but other people are like, that makes it harder because then there's a lot of group think as well. So kind of from your experience, how was that? Um, I, I think I needed both because sometimes when, for example, in Ramadan, when you're fasting, it's easier to fast when everybody's fasting and it's, you're in a Muslim country, then that's a lot easier. And, but then again, well, now with this whole new age spirituality you can't talk to to western people about these things but there's a lot of things that they don't understand they don't that you can't really share with um non-muslims or people that don't have that spiritual um desire or no spiritual connection or that don't want any spiritual connection so it's it's i think it's both it, yeah yeah i i would say i think for me too it was I definitely needed to see both you know there were some things and some aspects of islam that i learned in the west that I think gave me a perspective that I really needed to be the Muslim woman that I am. I remember spending Ramadan in Sudan and here Ramadan, you know, we work, you break your fast, you go to the masjid, you go to Tarawih, you have Tarawih, you go home, work, you know, the same thing day in and day out. And I remember being in Sudan and feeling so happy to like get to practice Islam and experience Ramadan with Muslims and all of this. And I remember I had to beg to go to the masjid for Tarawih. <laughs> yep. Then I remember going to Tarawih and the masjid and the imam literally reading Quran. Express. It was Tarawih Express. And I was like, what the actual hell is going but on? The Express is everyone's favorite. No one goes to like the regular. People are like, we're going it's to Tarawih. Express and then Alani Alani. <laughs> Like, they're literally like, I'll be back in 15. Um, I'll be right back. I think you have to work harder here for sure to yeah. connect. Like, you have to find the space. You have to create the space. Like, you guys have been my space in a lot of Ramadan. Like, just knowing that I'm going to go and see my friends and we're going to have our own halaqas and discussions and everything we do in between. Like, I think when you live in a Muslim society, you kind of just forget about it because it's always there. You're not even aware yeah. of it. It challenges you when you're like the only one or your small group is the only one. Yeah. When you have to go out of your way to practice. Mm -hmm. And it forces you to ask questions. Whereas Why are you doing things? Yeah. Yeah. When I'm in Sudan, I'm kind of just like, like just riding the wave. I'm not really thinking about what's going on or why I'm doing different things. Mm -hmm. But here in America, because the entire society questions me, I have to question myself and my Mm -hmm. actions. And I feel like that's helped me kind of, figure out who I am and who I want to be in the journey I'm on versus kind of this like just ride the wave and not really knowing why you're doing what. (laughs) Yeah, I think before you were talking about like conscious actions and things like that. And I think being Muslim in America, like even though I grew up in a conservative family, I've made all the decisions for myself by myself. 
Like, I think with having our parents come from oppressive regimes and things like that, like they have, they've given us their knowledge, but they've also given us the power to then be like, but you still have to make these decisions. Like no one in this country is going to stop you in the middle of the street and tell you, why are you wearing pants? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Like you have to make the decisions for yourself about your religion, about your spirituality, about your body by yourself and stand by that and understand okay I'm doing this for this reason this is not and that's continuous like a a continuous conversation versus I feel like in Sudan they're like everybody's doing this I'm gonna do this everybody like it's just (laughs) casual it's just go with the flow type of thing I think I had similar conversations with friends that, that, that converted to Islam, that everything they have to learn and they make conscious decisions and, and, and question things that we, we were born with it. We, we don't know anything else and we've never really questioned it. So maybe that's like something. Yeah, and it's really refreshing. It's refreshing to know the why, right? Yeah. And, and it's refreshing to challenge yourself and to, you know, in the same way that your dad asked you, you know, you need to, you need to think about what hijab means. Or, and I have these conversations with myself too, you know. And in Sudan, I do feel like a lot of people sometimes um, put on the hijab or the scarf. It's part of your dress when you're outside, right? Like mm-hmm. you have to kind of just throw something on and then move along. And I really do wonder a lot about people, you know, and, you know, um, do they do they actually want to dress like this I guess I mean I don't know I'm trying to think about as much thought as we take into practicing our religion and as much as we seek knowledge do they seek it in the same way and seek that spiritual connection because it's so readily available it's almost like you know like Abraham was saying you just kind of do it because everyone else is doing it yeah but also in the education there I I, I mean, I don't know how it was before, but now after the inqas, it became, I don't know how many hours, they just doubled the hours of religious studies, and but then only Quran, you only memorize things. You don't really, even my cousins, they tell me that they never really understood why. Yeah. They really thought, they never really, I don't know, asked questions. They, were, they weren't really allowed yeah. to question anything. And, and when the teacher didn't have an answer, it's like, khalas, Allah, Allah, he doesn't want you to know. Khalas, <laughs> you know? Like, but I feel like that's so dangerous for this for this generation like I I work in education system and they're so curious they're so like because like you have to think about it on our devices we have all the knowledge right you can learn anything within just a few clicks you can figure out how the sun is up in the sky how like you can just like have scientific and whatever like knowledge in your hand but they need to understand the why they need the people around them to be able to give them like the meat of the information you can't just tell kids these days because i said so mm-hmm. before they'd be like oh okay and then go back and play now they're like but who are you and why do you say that and what do you like you have to understand the generation that's in front of you i thank god for the revolution because it allowed for that also to happen and to, to normalize those types of conversation you can't just sure. tell me you can't just tell me that art is not, you know, a career. Mm-hmm. Why is it not a career? Why is it not something that I can pursue mm-hmm. seriously? Like yeah. something yeah. as small as that, I think there was no room for those conversations before. And it's also crazy to me, especially with an art like 
Sudanese people love art. They love music. music like, yeah. You know, and it's it's shame. Like, if I were to pick yeah, up here and beat, and your shoulders just start. <laughs> but if I if I if I pick up a guitar, and I've told my parents this too, if my career doesn't work out, I want to be back up the Luca girlfriend, South Modini. And if that. <laughs> You know, if I tell them that, they think I'm joking. But what if I'm serious? Like, yeah. will you support me in my endeavors? Like, I don't know. I, I don't I think, think this, the spectrum of being more than one thing, like across, like not having to be, you know, just conservative or just liberal. Like yeah. the spectrum is blending together because we have representation of that. Mm-hmm. So like people seeing you now that like they're able to connect with all right, so I can be spiritual, but I can be a businesswoman and I can also have my own thoughts and I don't have to look a certain way to say these things. And like the more examples there is, there are, the more the next generation is going to be empowered to find their own um, complex identities, like creating their own identities versus just picking one or the other. Because mm-hmm. they seem to always kind of like put you in this place where you need to either present yourself as this or that. You're either with us, against us. Like there's nothing in between. Nada, what have been some challenges um, for you to kind of be authentic to who you are and carry out the vision that you want in the world? <clears throat> That's a big question. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, challenges um, to me being authentic in Sudan or in general? I, Wherever. In general. Yeah. Generally, yeah. I think we 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 living in a society always um, you always reflect and always um, mirror others you always or, or even compare um, but I think that's something we all struggle with even with social media with with, with the media in general it's just constant images of what you could be but what you what you what you're not what you do and it's just this constant reflection and I think it's easy to get carried away or to want something. And, but it's also healthy. I think it's, it's healthy to constantly, I don't know. I, I, I don't even know what's authentic me or who I am or where I'm going. This is like a very big lifetime question, but um, <laughs> I try, I, I do still try to carry this, um, this, this feeling that I had, this rebellious side that I had in Sudan of always wanting to be me, whoever that is. And I feel like every day you wake up to a new you and um, just to have the freedom of, of allowing yourself to discover the new use or the new gods that you will have. You know, Allah's Adwe will be different. Tomorrow you will have a different idea of God. You have a different idea of yourself. I have a different idea of Ihaj. So just to have that, the liberty, I try to just keep that um, and not get too close into one thing. So that's something. I love that. I really love that. Okay, I want to circle back real quick to House Aluria and like how what inspires you to design the Mabakhir and even the art scene and, you know, where you're getting your resources from in Sudan that people who are interested in purchasing from you, you know, kind of know where they're getting their stuff from and what inspires you to decorate or I think for me, it's designing the Mabakhir. That's the best way I can put it. So um, the Mabakhir, I get them from Umdurman, from um, al Gamayr. <laughs> Umdurman. <laughs> Because <coughs> in the soup they don't have the, they only have colored ones, like ready ones that they sell. But in Gamayr is where the people actually um, make the clays and you can give orders and different designs and whatever you want. Um, so this is where I go for my designs. And then I, I take them with me to, to, to Switzerland and I paint them here. I don't really have, 
I don't think about it too much. I just sit and have different, um, and just just do it. I really don't don't have. I can't really tell you where my inspiration comes from, but I think they always have this Sudanese, um, maybe by the Zar spirits. Sometimes I think about the spirits and 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 try to think of their character, what they would like, and and it just comes out. But I. Yeah, <laughs> and I always tell myself that I have many. And I just, I sometimes I start them. I don't like them, and I put it away and start another one. So mm. yeah. <laughs> and you expressed to me last time when we were talking about expanding your business into different regions of Sudan. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like what you hope, even if it's not set in stone. Sometimes I feel like saying things will allow them to happen. So can you talk right. about to speak it into existence? Well. <laughs> Well, I, I, like I said, um, it's it's still ongoing, the project with Hasabluni. I don't know where it's going to take me, but one thing that I've always had in mind when I started it is um, that instead of making the Bakhur, I would um, go to different um, to different women in Sudan from different regions because I feel like every region has their own recipes when it comes to food or Bakhur or yeah. different things and, and, and maybe have these women that that make a dilka and the bakhur and like that's their profession and maybe support them, have them do a line and, and, and sell it and you know have them sell it in my store, for example, and and things like that. I really don't know how and, and, and when I can do that, but maybe include other women and have other um, creators and maybe have perfume at some point, khumra, um, whatever, <laughs> see where it takes me. I really love that. And I love that you're young and doing this. Like, you know, these are things that our grandparents and, you know, our parents tell us about. Um, and I, there's, a, there's, we're kind of removed from that information and like, you know, why all of these things are, are important. So I love that you're young and, and, you know, making it, I guess, mainstream. I don't want to say that, but making it available for people to to use and you know a funky little mukhar with some feathers on it i saw one that you made it was had like hot pink feathers on it maybe that's what i want to have in my house now another another reason i love that is because if we don't do this our generation doesn't then there are going to be other people that take your culture and present it the way they want so i love that you've taken that step and that you're in you know it's uncomfortable it's something new um but it's a learning process. You don't know everything and you don't know where it's going to go. But I think that's really amazing. I, I like really support that idea of letting it become what it, what it wants to be and letting yourself grow within your business um, and not putting yourself in just one corner and saying, this is the only thing I'm going to do. And we support you, obviously, you know, <laughs> whichever direction your business is going, we definitely support you. So much support. Uh, I'm a fan yeah. of yeah. Ned Patriarch. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm really excited to see what you continue to, to come up with and grow and um, and learn about our our culture um, and broaden our own understanding of it as well. Like it's 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 creating connectivity. You know, if you've never started your business, we would have never heard about you. We would have never been able to connect with you. Things like that. I feel like when we are are being authentic, when we're having. Um, like going after our passions, we're connecting and we're finding ways to really bond with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's very important.
Yeah. That, Cause that's actually one of the, I've been, I was th just thinking about that this morning. I was talking to Dara. I don't know if you guys, Dara, Dara Naim, the artist. Oh yeah. And we're talking about how, um, how the internet and how little things that you do with like House of Lolia and the little posts that I didn't know where it's going to go, but already made and it's very new and I've already made so many genuine connections and, and just started so many discussions and similar to you guys like this platform that you guys are offering for black women and Sudanese women and to, to just yeah, sit yeah. and be yourself in a safe space but like this is this is the bridge that we all somehow um, incorporate in our in, in, in our work and that's that's why I really connected with this because this is exactly what I want to cultivate. I think it's so nice for us to like although we're across the world we have um similar experiences and, 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 and it's really cool to just be able to connect and see some of the things that you're struggling with or some of the ideas that you've had, like, like, like carry across the world. Like we're, we all have so many connections that we might not think about. And until we all um, connect and just have these conversations and such, we'll continue to just be in silos, but it's so important for like our, our, unique and diverse fabric to kind of just continue to make those connections. So I'm really happy that we had this conversation. Yeah. We're all diverse as black women, as Sudani women. And I think it's important to just like show up as our true selves and in us showing up, we're making space for other people to show up as their true selves. And really that's just what it's about. So I'm honored that you, uh, you know, think uh that this is a safe space or you're free to to be yourself and express yourself that, that's very exciting to me thank you so much the honor is all mine thank you <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you so much for this conversation um what is your instagram so that people can know where to go and purchase and look at your page house of lolia l-o-l-i-a all right. Thank All you right. guys for another episode. Thank you so much, Neda, for joining us. We appreciate it. We are blessed with your beautiful smile. Uh, and, you know, we support you, girl. I support you, girls, too. Thank you so much for having me and for allowing me to, to have a conversation with you. Thank you, Neda.